Tommy, when he was when he was younger, had a real chip on his shoulder. A lot of guys who you would talk to who played against him or I would talk to, and that's what it was like to play against him. They're like, whoa, you know, he didn't want to get in his way. He didn't want to get near his elbows. He would dig him into you. He was, he was just tough, and he, he had something to prove, which he put up the, uh, remarkable numbers in the uh, seventh game against St. Louis when the Celtics won their first championship. Uh, he went for 37 and 23. 37 points, 23 rebounds. And as he would tell you, he missed eight free throws in that game. So, um, but the Celtics won in double overtime. He was the star of the game. He was the rookie of the year that year, not Bill Russell. He was the rookie of the year. That hook shot off the glass. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, he, he had a chip on his shoulder on the court. And then, as you know, Tommy retired from basketball when he was 30. Yeah, uh, you know, the injuries just caught up with him. So now he had to compete on another level and he had a very sharp intellect and, and he decided he'd compete on that level. And it, uh, you didn't want to talk about World War II unless you really came with your guns loaded. He knew what Winston Churchill's plan was. He knew what this guy's plan was. Um, I, uh, the the, the uh, spy novels, he devoured those authors. Um, he, again, he, he decided he couldn't play ball anymore and he was going to get you with his, with his smarts. Mm -hmm. And then came back, of course, and coached the two world championship teams. Um, there wasn't much less for him to do except come sit by me, which he did. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah. All right, NBA legend. Basketball world is mourning one of the one of the greatest. Uh, I, I would say one of the more most distinguished uh, Celtics, Mister Celtic. Right? I, yeah. I think that's the most fitting yeah. description for him because he encapsulated what it meant to be a Celtic. He was uh, a coach, as a player, as a commentator, and as someone who a lot of that fraternity, Celtics fraternity has so much connection with. Yeah. We have to dedicate this episode, of course, to the one and only Tommy Heinsohn. And uh, we're going to do the best tribute that we can. I'm Joseph Pavone alongside Cedric Maxwell. Max, I guess I want to open this one up with just telling me uh, what, what the past couple of days have been like and, and what you remember most about Tommy Heinsohn. Well, hearing about Tommy's passing is uh, is is just, uh, it, it saddens me. Um, you know, not only was he a um, my first coach, but he was a mentor as a broadcaster, and more importantly, he was a friend. And uh, for him to pass away, and you could kind of see it coming, it was maybe it was two and a half months ago mm -hmm. that uh, he was supposedly on hospice, so he lasted another essentially two months. Um, great man, very interesting. Uh, like I say, he not only that he was a he was a great artist. Right. Uh, you right. know, I have some uh, pictures that he did of myself and Kevin and Robert. Uh, you know that really? that uh, that are around someplace. So he's 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 going to be he he's he was that force. Uh, he's been around. He was around for all the championships. When Red Arback passed away, then it was Tommy Heinsohn. Right. All the championships and. We'll say now that Tommy Heinsohn probably was the most beloved Celtic. I think so. Maybe ever. I think so. Because yeah. not only during his time did he play, and then coaching, and then broadcasting, and even today, if you went someplace, if I was with Tommy, 
Somebody might say, oh, that's Cedric Maxwell, but that's Tommy Heinsohn right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Tommy points and all this stuff. Right. And, exactly. You know, yeah. the way he uh, was as a broadcaster. Yeah, I think his connection with so many generations of Celtics fans is so remarkable because, like you said, like the, the face, the voice, it's so people, uh, you know, connect him not only with the Celtics, but just the guy who they could relate to. The guy who was going off on the referees, the guy that you would scream to the TV, the same things he was saying. You, you could tell he was feeling the same way you were feeling watching the Celtics games, you know. Tommy had a way of connecting with Celtic fans in a way that as a broadcaster, you can't be today. Mm. You can't be. And I remember having a conversation with um I got a call from the station I was working at at that time was WEI and Jason Wolf was uh program director. He calls me and says, what's up, my brother? And I was like, oh, there's some shit about to jump off. <laughs> and so when he said that, this white guy saying that, you're going, yeah, you okay. Know, that's when, you're, yeah, that's that's, when your antennas go yeah. up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing fine, but you know, small talk, and then all of a sudden it was like, get to it. Well, uh, the Celtics were a little concerned about something you said, and you know, I said, what did I say? You were saying how you know when you just got Paul Pierce was there, and you got Ray Allen, that uh, you, 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 these are the two guys you have. You said that people are going to be running towards the basket because you weren't going to have anybody to defend the basketball. I said, yeah, that's why I said, I said, who do I need to talk to here? Uh, Rich Gotham. So Rich Gotham, president of the Celtics. And I called him up and, you know, I said, Rich, what's up? He said, well, you know, we'd like for you to be more like Tommy. And I would have to be the incredible Hulk to be that damn green. There's no way I could do it. And I told him, I said, I can't be Tommy Heinsohn. In today's broadcast world, you can't be Tommy Heinsohn. It's a new era. He was an original. There's no way that you yeah. you mimic what he did. Right, and we don't want to hear that. Like, no, nobody, know, no, up, no, no one wants to hear that. No, There's only no, one Tommy. Nobody yeah. wants to hear that. So, right. you know, and I think people now, all they want is, you know, because you have replays and replays on top of replays. It's hard to fool. So if, if the officials are wrong, then, you know, I'll be the first to get on them. Right. But most of the time, those officials, they're bang, bang calls and they're really close. You know, people going to miss them. Yeah. But Tommy was like every call that, you know, went against the Celtics was like life and death. Right, and, right. and because of that, I think that the average fan who was screaming, as you said, at the TV, needed a way to transfer that energy. And he was able to transfer that energy through Tommy yelling at at the officials. Johnny Moss was just like that. You know, if you were a Celtic player, you never did wrong. But as broadcasters now, you can't be that way. You ever have that conversation with him? You ever talk to him about this? About being like him? No, no. About how you do things a little differently. And how- oh no, I talked to I talked to Rich Gotham about it, the president of the Celtics. I said, look, I, I'm I'm completely different. Than right, Tom. but you did you explain all yeah. this? That okay, what do you I say said I'm that? completely different than Tommy. No, it wasn't too much said after that. I said I, I can't be Tommy. Okay, I'm completely different. I said the way I broadcast the game is I've taken things from Tommy as a broadcaster, and what I like to do is to make it um, one of those things where you. 
it's almost like you're talking to a guy in a bar. You guys are looking at a game and you're exactly. talking about it. Right. And that's the kind of information that's trying to, the energy that I try to put into watching a game or telling you about a game that I might be watching. Right. I can't always be on the Celtic side. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't look at Jeff Twist, who has worked for the Celtics for many years, who was the PR guy for the Celtics, that they had Honcho, one of the greatest guys around. I happened to do a double overtime game with him because all my broadcast partners were out. And we did a double overtime game in Vancouver, British Columbia, many, many years ago. It had to be 15, 20 years ago. It had to be like the and, mid to late 90s. Yeah. And yeah. Jeff turns around, and as the game is going on, it gets real tight. Jeff says, we really got to win this. I said, Jeff, we <laughs> ain't got to win nothing. We got to tell about the game. We is the Celtics. We it's them and us. Right. We are telling about the game. Yeah. So I think that people sometimes get confused when they want to talk about a team. You want I want the Celtics to win every game, but I realize sometimes that that's not going to happen. A la Donald Trump, you're not going to win every game. And there are times when you have to concede to the devil and say, "Well." Just got beat tonight. Right, mm-hmm. right. And when I started watching the Celtics, they were losing all the time. So <laughs> Tommy would make all these excuses. You know, these referees, the Celtics could have won this game. And there were some nights where you were just like, I don't know, Tommy. They lost by 17. I don't know, yeah. man. I don't think they had a chance in this one. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the referees. Were got the, slapped were the around reason. by 20 yeah. and you're going, what? <laughs> I mean, Rick Fox might have got slapped a few times going to the lane, but I don't know. I don't think it would have made a difference, Tommy. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Playing against Shaq, Shaq had thirty-eight. <laughs> I don't think that, and we didn't have. We had nobody to stop, and maybe that was it. So, but you know, he was uh, Tommy was uh, a man. Tommy is is a force. He, he was he was his own force, and like you say he connected in a way that nobody else will connect with the fans in this particular. Arena, right, right. It's just a, it was such a sad day too. Um, but you, when you see the outpouring, it was remarkable. And then you also you hear the stories. I found out so much about Tommy that you know that's what actually we were supposed to record that day. And I said, you know what, let's do it the next day. I just wanted to hear more stories and just soak it all in. And I mean, what the the life insurance thing? He's he sold Mike Gorman a life insurance policy. <laughs> That's one of the first times they met. Mike thought that they were going to meet up to talk about, oh, you know, how they want to do the games and stuff. He was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm selling to you right now. So that, I thought that was funny. And then also, um, you know, I, I knew how far back these two had gone. But I, to, to find out that he was doing like the NBA finals for was it, two consecutive years and being a homer on the national state. Bro, can you imagine? Right. Try not to. But can you imagine him doing like an ABC game today on the yeah. national stage? Yeah. And the Southerners are in the finals? Yeah. Oh, Oh, the People Celtics like, here. This dude. Yeah. Get this dude on the TV. Celtics here. They're, you know, this is how they play. Yeah. So, so the Lakers fans must have hated that. Yeah. Dude. So, so those things do happen oh, when you man. think about how games are and how they're played. But at the end of the day, you know, um, like you said, you will, you will miss this guy. And the stories that, you know, go along with my, my first time meeting Tommy or have him as a coach, uh, I had Tommy my rookie year, and so I had him for about 24, 25 games before they end up firing Tommy. Okay. But during that time, you know, he took a rookie under his belt and was going to make him better. He said, you know, this is what you have to do. So there were many days after practice, everybody else would be gone, 
and it would be me and, and maybe another, you know, younger player would be there and, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to box out every time. This is what you're going to do. You're going to learn how to box out. So I had to essentially just try to box these big guys trying to get to the rim. And I was only, I only weighed like 202. So, you know, it was, it, it was tough. It was, it was, there were tough days, but. Was he tough on you? Was he like, yeah, was, he was, learned, he, was he a mean coach? No. Not mean, but you know, wasn't, like. He wasn't mean, but he, you know, he, he put in the work. He was yeah. putting in the work with me and, you know, it, and it made me better. And matter of fact, he started me. It was like game, I don't know, it was game. And my first start ever, he put me in the place of John Havlicek. Wow. Oh, yeah, because that was his final year, right? Yeah, That's and John's had John's final year, game like, it must have been game seven or eight, and we were two and six or something, so he wanted to shake, shake it, it up. up yeah. And he put me in the lineup. We played Buffalo, and I remember I had... 22 and 12 or something, you know, something really good. Yeah. And the first person that came to talk to me wasn't necessarily, t- but it was John Havlicek who came and said, Rookie did a great job, but you're going to have to continue on. It's only one game. And then Tommy echoed what he said. And uh, I might have started for another five or six games before they took me back out of the lineup. But it was one of those things where, you know, the players call it, uh, when, you know, you get a DMP. The players call it Detroit National Park when you don't play at yeah, all. Yeah. A DMP. <laughs> and yeah. I got some DMPs, but I think that year I averaged maybe about seven or eight points a game. Okay. And uh, on a losing team, but it was, uh, but I learned a lot from him and the veteran players that he had around him. When it was the, like, because he was always around the game so much. What, what, did you the next time you he came to Boston? When was like the next time you saw him? Because I know he was he wasn't too far away from the NBA. You know? He they talked for a while about him taking another position in uh, in uh, I wanted to probably was in New Jersey at the time with the New Jersey Nets, and he didn't, and he just stayed around Boston. He did national games, and he started doing uh, games for the Celtics, mm-hmm. and so. Here's a guy who never left. I mean, he was here in 19, I want to say it was 1956 or 57 mm-hmm. when, when he got his, and when he, uh, you know, had this huge game, game seven, where he had 30-something points, 20-something rebounds, and it was the seventh game, and the Celtics won because of him. And uh, he, he's never looked back, and he's never left Boston since 19, 1956. Yeah. He's always been he's always been that one constant. There was Red, and then when Red passed away, then there was Tommy. Right. So, uh, you know, now you have to see who the next person is. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. You can get in on the action right now. The season opening bonuses is the best way to start you off. Wagering on win, division, and championship futures today. Head to BetOnline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You know, it's interesting you bring up Red. I had no idea that, that Red has a, a radio broadcasting background. These two used to, uh, for, for a short time, uh, he was he was the color guy. And Tommy was doing play-by-play mm-hmm. when he first started out. So I thought that was really interesting. 
And, um, you know, Red pushed for him to do it because he, he, before he finished playing, he was already doing radio. Tommy was. Mm-hmm. So he just thought it was natural. Oh, he already retired, you know, you know, to make that transition. But also, um, his bad knees is the reason why he, he didn't, he didn't have a, a long, extensive career. Yeah. Tommy, you know, had, had a bad knee and he was the guy who had the, the running hook shot. He would shoot right. this hook shot he would from, show off, from, right? the, yeah. from the corner. Yeah, he would yeah. be running and dip his head to the side <laughs> and throw this hook shot. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, how's the shot going? But he would, he was, uh, that was his pet shot, the, the running hook shot. He had the jump shot, but he had the running hook shot. Now, how important was that back then? You know, <laughs> well, not, I, not, not when he was playing, but like when you, you know, the 70s and so how long did that stick around that you had to have that part of your game well if you were a post player you needed the hook shot you know the 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 most effective weapon ever to be in the nba was a hook shot and that was kareem abdul jabbar now nobody's ever shot it like him but yeah essentially if you were a post player you had to have that as part part of your arsenal and uh tommy talked about that many times i always remember him uh hating three-pointers I think he did because decades before you know the way it is now. I'm, I'm talking late nineties or so. Drove him crazy. Well, yeah. it, it it did, and it drove me crazy. And I was I was around in the NBA for I, matter of fact on the court the first time uh, uh, the the first time in the history of the NBA. Chris Ford was my teammate with the Celtics, and he hits the first three pointer from the corner, and everybody kind of goes crazy. And the referees really didn't even. Holly know what to do. Like, uh, okay, that's three. But I'm sure that Tommy jumping three times. Yeah, but Tommy, Tommy as a coach, he always emphasized the high percentage shot. Mm-hmm. Fast break. He fast was, break was fast break. breaking. Yeah. He was always that. That's how he felt like he was going to out condition teams, run them with you know a smaller team, but run the ball down their throats. He had JoJo who was a runner. Havlicek, who was supreme runner. Dave Cowens, who was the small center who ran. Mm-hmm. Paul Silas, you know, was down the line with guys who ran and were trying to get easy buckets and they defended. You know, they were going to defend you full court. And that was one of the things that just kind of wore teams down. We had done maybe a total of four games together, five games together for Providence College. And that's where I first got a chance to work with Tommy. And Tommy was good on those games, but he was very much the kind of the guest analyst. Um, we we played, Providence played Holy Cross, and he was into that game. But the other games, he was, he was there, but he wasn't the real Tommy. And then came opening night against the Indiana Pacers in my first game as the Celtics uh, broadcaster. And Kyle, as you know, we all do the same thing. We've got these manila folders that we fold out. And we write down so much useless information we'll never need. It's multicolored. It's every, everything you want. Everything you want is there. See, that's, that's, that's me and Tommy right there. That's, we don't even need to look at each other. Um, but anyway, so... I do my notes, and I am just prepared. I am over-prepared for this game. I got every stat you could possibly think of, every story you could possibly think of. I got keywords written down in different colors and everything else. And I'm all set up, and I spread myself out on the on the broadcast uh, table, which was in the old gondola in the old Boston Garden that hung off the first balcony. So um, Tommy's laying in there smoking a cigarette, and we're about three minutes from going on the air, and he goes, what's this blank? And he points to my notes. <laughs> And uh, I said, those are my notes. And he goes, we're not going to need that, this blank. And he takes my notes and he crumples them up in a ball and he throws them off the first balcony. Okay? This is Kyle. You, you, know, you know what this is like, Kyle. This is, this is 10 hours of work. Okay? Right, right. Just, That's now, your some, lifeline. Some little kid is running around. Yeah, some little kid is running around down there with this. Look what I found. Look what I found. You know? It's multicolored. And Tommy looks at me and I'm in shock. I'm thinking like, wow, this is good. Because 
another part of the story was when Tommy got Tommy got the job with Prism, and I think they gave him a four or five year contract uh, with me. When I asked for a one year contract, the guy I never forget it. The guy looked at me and said, "Let's just see how it goes first. <laughs> so, so, so I have I have no contract. I have no guarantee of anything. Um, and now my notes are all down there on the floor. And he's standing there with his arm around me, a cigarette burning in his hands. And he, he would call me kiddo, which I loved, you know. And he said, hey, kiddo, we're going to talk about what we see. That's all we need to do. Mm. Um, and that's what we did for 39 years. We would sit down and talk about what happened in front of us, as opposed to, as a lot of guys do, Paul Pierce goes to the free throw line and you hear 9,000 things about where Paul went to college, <laughs> what his likes are, what he does, what he doesn't like. Tommy was like, none of that bullshit. I don't want any of that stuff around at all. I remember, in the, I felt like before the games, if you got there early enough, it was almost like this, like, when he came into the room, people would just sort of like see where he's, where he's going to sit, what he's talking about. And then you would see him just start saying hi to other people. And it didn't matter how far across you were from the room, you were just like, hey, Max. You know, he'll say some crack to kind of get you to say, what would you say to me? Like, just to get your attention. Like, that, that's and something every, I always remember. Every player, every player you know during that time has always courted timing. You think about it, even to the point where Kyrie talked about him at the his career. Right. Uh, Paul Pierce Paul always Pierce, yeah. was, was with him. Uh, you know, Antoine Walker. Uh, I don't think he as much about. I don't think he was as crazy about Kevin Garnett. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember talking about it, and one of the statements I had made on the radio one time, I said, um, "Yeah, Kevin Garnett is the best all around player oh, yeah. ever people, to play with the Celtics." About that. I remember, that. and Tommy took offense of it. Yeah, you, you said what? He's what? He's, I said, Tommy, think about it. Kevin Garnett is. Unbelievable defender, mm-hmm. not as good as Russell, but better offensively than Russell. Unbelievably offensive genius, not as good as Bird, but mm-hmm. you know could hold his own. <laughs> was, was unbelievable. So I said, if you put those two together, right. not the best defender, not the greatest scorer, but you combine the two together, you think about how he plays the game. There, there isn't by anybody like that. And uh, Tommy came to me after one game, and uh, I think it was like game six or game something against the Lakers. He said, your boy ain't showing up. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he, your boy Garnett ain't showing up. And Garnett had this huge game, and Tommy never said a word to me about Kevin Garnett again. So, um, so yeah, Tommy had, his, Tommy had his favorites. You, remember, you think about it, Walter McCarty. Yeah, yeah, of course. Walter um, was what kind of player? You'd say Walter was a bench player, yeah. but when Tommy he come in and Tommy, I love Walter. Do you remember? You remember uh, Dana Barrows' his tagline? He would say, uh, "Bing bang boom Barrows." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shooting threes. So I mean, yeah, I love Barrows growing up. So I used to love when he yeah. did that. Yeah. So Tommy, Tommy had his Tommy had, and like you said, he would essentially like before the game. He'd come out, sprawl down on, on the chair over there, and he would essentially hold court yeah. to anybody who was around. Yeah. You know, media people, coaches, other coaches would always seek out Tommy, yeah. you know, for uh, his opinion. You know who I saw next to him a lot? Marcus Smart. Yeah? Especially this past season. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a, actually, I, I took a picture of those two, actually, uh, the mid-conversation, and uh I just remember thinking after taking that picture, I'm like, he talks to Marcus a lot, or uh, you know, they'll they'll find each out. You'll you'll see them together at some point during shoot around. 
and, and in a long discussion. So, yeah, I remember always seeing that. Well, Tommy, Tommy based everything on defense. And the best defensive player you've had that has been under seven feet tall, obviously, mm-hmm. it was Russell and Garnett. But the best defensive player I've ever seen after those two would be Marcus Smart. Wow. And I've talked about Dennis Johnson you know, being a great defender and, and have had conversations with different people. Mark Jackson, the broadcaster uh, for ABC, came to me one day and said, heard what you said about Marcus Smart being the best, you know, best guard, you know, defender ever in the history of the Celtics. He said, well, it was a pretty good thing, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, I played against Dennis Johnson. Hell, I played with him. I think I... <laughs> I probably know maybe more than you about him. Are you going to tell me? Yeah. So uh, so Tommy seeks out those great defenders like that, and that's what he loved about Marcus. Yeah, no question. Oh, man. I, I think it's just it's just not going to be the same, man. It's no way it's going to be the same. Um, obviously, you could tell he was he was making his transition. to. You didn't see him as often in, in the games this past season. The season before, the same. But um, you, you always – you always expect to see him, whether it's a week or two weeks. He for would make big, that one for that big game. Yeah, he would make that one appearance where that you felt one like, okay, game, there he is. Yeah, yeah, there's Uncle, Uncle Tommy's here. Exactly. Yeah, Uncle exactly. Tommy's okay. here. Uncle Tommy's and, all right. He's okay. We, we were, we're okay. Right. And so he would take those games. And then there were a couple of games where he'd get right in the middle of a game and not feel well. And mm-hmm. Scal would have to come in and, you know, take his take position. Over, and yeah. he'd go home not feeling well. But, and then eventually he'd come right back, mm-hmm. you know. A week or two later, and you see him again. So that was him in a nutshell. He had great players. He was around for all the championships, and he's he coached great players. You know, you think of Hablachek, you think of JoJo White, you think of Don Chaney, uh, Paul Silas. You go down the line with these great guys, and then after you know Russell steps away from the game, Tommy Heinsohn was the next coach, and they won. I want to say in seventy. I know they won in 74, oh yeah, it was 74, mm-hmm. and I say 76 that yep. the Celtics won uh, two championships. Yep. And that was under his his tutelage. He's in the Hall of Fame twice. Yeah. You know how people say, that, oh, two-time championship, oh, two-time Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean. It's incredible. And, and I'm not sure if you don't put him in there again as a broadcaster. As a broadcaster, right? So he could be one of the, the first. Mike. Three-time Hall of Famers. Right. When you think about having them in there as a broadcaster, as a yeah, as a player, and then as a coach, that that to me is that that to me that's the that that's the triple triple double right there. Right. You think about being <laughs> like that, yeah. and he taught me so many things as a broadcaster, and just letting the game speak, and not trying to have so many stats. And this guy, he shot this from this mm-hmm. position. No. Tell a story. Tell a story like you are looking at a game, like you're talking to one of your buddies at a bar, or if you're talking to somebody in your living room. That is how you're going to convey a story, and that's what Tommy taught me as a broadcaster. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, but I mean, you look now. It's just, just wait. Just look at the. This is this year. It's 2020. It's incredible. Just a, a list of guys that you know have. Uh, have passed away are, are mm-hmm. just incredible right now that you think about, you know, when you set, talk about Kobe Bryant being one of those guys that passed away, uh, Ruth Gator Ginsburg, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you can go down the line. David Stern. David Stern. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson dies. 
Um, who else? The guy who played James Bond, yeah, Sean, yeah. Connery, Sean Connery, passed. Sean Connery passed away. It's just a a list of people that you look at. Little Richard passed away, mm-hmm. and you think about all these other people. Chad Bozeman passes oh, away this year. Yeah. Uh, Lou Brock, uh, Gail Sayers mm-hmm. passes away this year. This 2020 has has been no joke at all. Uh, Eddie Van Halen. I mean, you just go down the line of celebrities or people who were there, along with just regular people who have died from the virus. Mm-hmm. This year is just, it's been unbelievable. Uh, Regis, you know, yeah. died this year. Another Al- Alex Trebek. Uh, Alex Trebek just passed away. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, you know, you go name after name after name, and you're just like, man, what is going on with this year that you just say that, that it's that many people? It's to the point where it's like, what's next? You know? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, let's yeah. wait for 2020. I'm like, well, you think it's just everything's just going to change yeah. as soon as the clock strikes well, January 1st? When, when, people, call, when people call me, though, people call me right now, I said, don't give me no damn bad, bad news. Mm-hmm. Don't call me with, just tell me everything's okay. And that's how <laughs> I normally start out a conversation with friends I hadn't talked to in a while. Well, man, this was, uh, again, more information about Tommy Heinsohn that I didn't know about, man. Again, whether it's you or whether I'm watching it from another former Celtics player, former champion, they just have endless stories of Tommy. And I'm sure I'll hear a, I'll hear a dozen more after this, you know. So um, salute to Tommy Heighton, of course. This is our dedication to him. Uh, may he rest in peace. The Celtics legend, icon, NBA li- icon, basketball legend. Uh, we salute you. I'm Joseph Pavone. You know what? And, the, and, and lastly, before we go, the only thing and what I really hate about this because of this pandemic, we can't go show our respects mm-hmm. in person. Yeah, and that yeah. to me, that that is again one of those measures that you look at great people over the years. People have gone out and they have gone in mm-hmm. person to show their respect. Right. Remember, just lines of people for Reggie Lewis when you know he passed away, and different things have happened over the years that you know people have gone. But because of the pandemic, yeah. that's not even going to happen. I didn't even think about that. You're right. Yeah. Dozens of players and family members, friends. That, yeah, that's too bad. Well, cheers to, uh, to this, again, to Tommy Heinsohn. Cheers to an amazing life, amazing career. I promise not to choke up in this one. But um, when Terry and I got, got married, it was about eight, ten months later, and, and Terry said, look, I, I, I don't. I'm not trying to make anything out of this. I just thought you should know we never received any kind of gift from, from Tommy and, and, and Helen. And I saw, oh, you know, they got a year thinking to myself, well, he's got three weeks left and he's going to make that deadline. Um, so anyway, we get a phone call from Helen and she says, Tommy's doing an art show. You got to come to the art show this weekend. Um, and we had said no to a couple of other invitations to our shows. So I said, we really got to go to this one. So we go, it's up in Gloucester somewhere. And we walk in and all of Tommy's paintings are on the wall. And in the middle, that's where I lose it. In the middle of the room was an easel with an oil painting of the inn that we got married in. Uh, and Tommy had snuck out during the wedding and taken photographs of it. And it had taken a year to paint it. Um, and it's tanks in a very prominent place in our home right now. But um, but that's the kind of things that you, you, stories you hear about. Tommy was a romantic at heart. Uh, and uh, again, people who judged him on how he reacted to officials, you're just seeing a s- tiny sliver of the pie.